The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you good this morning? You feeling healthy this morning? Everybody doing all right? I know it's been quite a week. Well, my name is Matt. I'm honored to be with you guys this morning. It's good to be back. Um, I had a couple minutes added to my sermon about 20 minutes ago, so I just want to take a minute to update you on a couple things. Um, One, our student camp last weekend was amazing, and uh, we praise God for all that He's doing in our student ministry. Can we give a hand to those who help us in our Next Generation ministry? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, This past week, I preached, I think, eight times in seven days in three different states, and I preached four times last Sunday morning in North Carolina. And uh, I had a blast. We were, I was with family, uh, people that not blood-related, but they are spiritually related to us, people who have uh, financially invested into our church here and helped us plant a church in Los Angeles. And uh, I was exhausted at the end of the day, but my first thought when I woke up that morning was, I'm grateful to be here, but I miss my spiritual family. And I miss you guys last week, and uh, I'm grateful to be together with you today. If you happen to bring a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 9 today. Luke chapter 9 is our text, and we start a brand new series today. Um, If you've been around here the last few months, then you know that we've been in the book of Luke together. Uh, We've been in the book of Luke together, and we're still in the book of Luke. We're just rebranding each new section of the book of Luke. And so this series is called The Frontline, and I'm excited to walk us through this text this morning. Luke chapter 9 is going to be our text. We're going to start in verse 23 today. Uh, But can we pray together? Can we pray together? Let's do that. Let's all pray together. God, thank you for today. God, we don't take today for granted. It's never happened before. It will never happen again. God, I thank you for those who are present this morning. I thank you for, um, God, what you're, what you're doing in our midst, Lord, in our church, in our city. And God, I pray that we would lean in this morning and hear from you. May the loudest words that are spoken be the words that we hear from the pages of Scripture today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said amen and amen. Hey, have you ever had people in your life who things just seem to come easy to them? You know what I'm talking about? I had a friend in college. We were the same major. We were the same year. Uh, We took the same classes together. And I just remember um, he didn't put in the same amount of work I was putting in. And he was getting uh, equal or better better grades than I I was. I don't know if you have people in your life that are like that. I'm not saying he was cheating. Uh, Maybe he was. I don't know. But I just remember I'm putting in a lot of work here. He's putting in a whole lot less work than I am, and we're getting the same result. And I'm just working through my accounting classes. I'm working through advanced math, and I'm working through statistics. And it came hard to me, but it came so easy to him. He just wasn't putting in the the same amount of effort. I don't know if you have people in your life that are like that, people whose success just seems to come easy. They don't put in the same amount of work that you put in. People who, who, who get the dates, but they don't have the same amount of integrity you have. People that get the promotion, and they don't do half the work that you do. In some ways, it reminds me of the text today. In some ways, it reminds me of Jesus' words when he talks about the pain and the difficulty of what it means to follow him. Some put in more, some put in less. Oftentimes, we find people that are just cultural Christians that don't give any sacrifice to what it means to follow Jesus. I'm reminded of this quote this morning by an author. 
it says, it is not possible to be incidentally a Christian. The fact of Christianity must be overwhelmingly first or nothing. This suggests a reason for the dislike of Christians by nominal or non-Christians. Their lives contain no overwhelming first, but many balances. I don't know what your idea of following Jesus looks like this morning. Maybe you have this concept in your mind that following Jesus feels more like a cruise ship. In other words, I give my life to Jesus and there's all these successes and all these blessings and all these joys in life. Maybe you don't have the concept of actually being on a battleship when you follow Jesus. I believe following Jesus is is not always blessing. It's not always joys. It's not always the successes in life. In fact, I think there's an unbiblical brand of Christianity that has hijacked this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not always successful. It's not always joyful. It's not always easy. It's not always prosperous. Sometimes it's a struggle to follow Jesus. And when we read this passage today, what we see is that there's a weight. There's a weight to following Jesus. Sometimes it's difficult. Oftentimes it's hard. But we, when we read Jesus' words today, we see that's how God intended it. That's how God intended following him to be. There's probably not a more forceful passage in what Jesus says today that puts weight on this idea of following Jesus than Jesus' own words. And I think what we're going to see today is that sometimes when we follow Jesus, it feels more like a loss to us than it does a profit. Sometimes it feels more like a loss than it does a profit. But in fact, the losses are often wins to the Christian, and oftentimes the profits we experience in our life aren't always beneficial to us. So Jesus puts it bluntly today, and he's not messing around. There's no hidden meaning what Jesus wants to say. He's going to describe what it's like to follow him. So I want us to read this passage together. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23, and this is what the scripture says. And then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Verse 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, verse 27, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus has some pretty strong words today. If you came this morning, you're like, man, I don't, I don't need a strong word. I just, well, this, this is going to be a difficult morning. But Jesus has some strong words today. And I believe the words that Jesus mentioned and the words that Jesus share, they're really a foreshadowing of Jesus' march to the cross. Doesn't it make sense here? It's a foreshadowing of Jesus' march to the cross, a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to endure for us. And so when Jesus talks about this idea of a cross, we have to remember here that the context of death by crucifixion was known by everybody who's listening to Jesus. They understood that crucifixion was a very cruel punishment that the Roman Empire wanted to implement. And so Jesus has this question for the people who are listening to him. And he's got this question to us today. Are you willing to endure loss in order to follow me? And so this is difficult. It's difficult to feel the full weight of what Jesus is saying here. But I want you to remember this morning that if that 11 of the 12 disciples that Jesus had, 11 of those 12 suffered death by martyrdom. The last one, the 12th one, was exiled to an island where he would eventually die. And so Jesus has this statement about following him. He says, if you're going to come after me, and I want to come after Jesus. 
I want to come after Jesus. At, at, at 42 years old and now 26 years into coming after Jesus, I want to say there are difficult days, but the days of coming after Jesus are the days where I find the greatest joy. I want to come after Jesus. Don't you want to come after Jesus this morning? Jesus says, when you come after me, there are three things. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. This is the totality of what Jesus did for humanity, isn't it? It's the totality of what Jesus did for you and what he did for I. Jesus, first of all, denied himself of, of his rightful authority of his godness. Doesn't that make sense? He denied himself of his godness so that he could be fully human. And Jesus experienced everything we as humans experience. He experienced sadness. He experienced sorrow. He experienced poverty. He experienced abandonment. He experienced joy. He experienced blessing. But what's essential in, in, in looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus is that Jesus himself denied himself of his godness. Why? So that he could identify with humanity. When he went to the cross, he's not just sharing a message about a God who can't identify with humanity. When he went to the cross and he denied himself of everything he was rightfully able to claim, listen, when he did that, he repaired the gap between humanity and God. He gave up his rights to his godness. It makes me question myself sometimes. Am I willing to give up some of my perceived rights to follow God? How am I willing to give up those rights? How often am I willing to give up my rights to follow God? But not only did Jesus give up his rights to his godness, but the complete denial of himself involved the cross. And we understand this. If you're a believer, you know this. Jesus took up a cross he didn't deserve. Jesus took up a cross he didn't deserve. I deserved that cross. We deserved that cross. And when he took up the cross, he followed the Father. And so when Jesus, when Jesus denies himself, he takes up the cross and he follows his father, he exemplifies what it means to follow God. Now look, he exemplifies what it means to follow God, even when following God seems like the least preferred option in life. Do you remember Matthew chapter 26? Jesus is on the brink of going to the cross. Remember what he said in Matthew 26, verse 42? He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. You remember what he said here? In other words, Jesus says, Father, if there is another way, if there's another option to follow you, Father, if not, then your will be done. And so when Jesus takes up his cross and when he follows the Father, Jesus is speaking from experience here. He's not asking you to do something that he was not willing to do himself. And can I say this to us this morning? He didn't say it would be easy. He didn't say... Following the Father would often be the preferred option at times in your life. He didn't say there wouldn't be times in your life when you're following the Father, when you wouldn't ask God, God, is there another way? You ever experienced this as a follower of Jesus? Because oftentimes my prayers are not always, God, I'm so excited to follow you. Sometimes my prayers are, God, is there another option? God, is there another way? Can Can we do this differently so when he followed the Father, he set the example for us that it's not always easy and it's not always the preferred option for us. And so I'm not telling you this morning, and Jesus is not saying to us in this passage, that following him is going to be easy. But what he is saying to us this morning is that it's always right. And we see that here in verse 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit 
their very self. You know, you're on the right path at times if following Jesus seems difficult. If at times, if at times in your life and following Jesus, you want to protect what you have rather than losing what you have, I want to say to you this morning, you're on the right path. You're headed in the right direction. And I believe this, the the decisions that we make as followers of Jesus should not always be easy. If all the decisions we're making in life and the important decisions in life are easy, I I just want to say to us this morning, they shouldn't always be easy. Not every decision should be an easy decision. If you're a follower of Jesus, there are going to be difficult decisions to make. Why? Because I'm not following me. I'm following Jesus. Even Jesus gave us the example, God, if there is a different way, if you can do this differently, I'm not following me, I'm following the Father. By the way, if you work in the entertainment industry, and regardless of whether you work in the entertainment industry, all of us face the same decisions. There are times when you have to ask yourself these questions. Am I going to compromise myself? Am I going to compromise my convictions? Am I going to compromise my faith? Am I going to compromise my integrity and my passions if I, and you fill in the blank with whatever that may be. I just don't believe that every decision we make in life is a blank check in the name of Christian freedom. Can I say that this morning? Every decision we make in life is not a blank check in the name of Christian freedom. There are going to be times in the following of Jesus that you're feeling like I'm losing. I feel like I'm losing, God. I feel like I'm losing my safety. I feel like I'm losing myself. I feel like I'm losing my freedom. I feel like I'm losing my security. I feel like I'm losing my desires. I've gotten a text message or an email every week since Sherry Gages, who was my assistant, just left in DC. I've gotten a text or an email every single week from her. And she hasn't expressly said this, but I know what's going on in her mind. She's answered the call of God to her on her life, and she's, she's, I guarantee you, she's, God, I feel like I'm losing here. I'm losing myself. I'm losing my freedom. I'm losing my security. I mean, it's, it's just naturally. It's what happens when we follow Jesus at times. It feels like I'm losing God. It doesn't feel like I'm profiting. And I'm not telling you this morning that following Jesus is always going to feel like a prophet. Church, listen to me. Sometimes it's going to feel like a loss. Sometimes it's going to feel like the stock market tanked and my retirement was tied up in it. It's not, following Jesus is not always the easy thing to do, but it's always the best thing to do. Sometimes following Jesus will seem like a loss, but can I say to us this morning, you must believe it's a prophet. Sometimes following Jesus will feel like a loss, but you must believe it's a prophet. And if we say that we love Jesus, and I hope if you're a believer here this morning, you do, then this process of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following Jesus, this, is, this describes what that love looks like. This describes what that love is. It's taking up a cross. It's denying ourselves. It's following Jesus whenever, wherever. It's action-oriented, not just feeling, and not just a mental ascent to what we think we believe. Ann Voskamp, a great writer, says, any kind of love that lacks the iron of the cross in it is anemic love. It won't make you flourish. It won't let you really live. It isn't fully healthy love. Love without a cross has no backbone. Love without a cross can't stand because it's only about feel good and not about being made new. The ones who carry around the cross of Christ in their heads are the only ones who really have the love of God in their hearts. Because while political correctness may say, follow me and maybe we'll find some truth, Jesus humbly pleads, pick up your cross and follow me. I am the truth. 
It's a great description of what it means to love Jesus. I love how she says, your love of Jesus must have the iron of the cross in it. And so one of the men who were listening to what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 9 was one of his disciples named Peter. You, you know Peter. In fact, uh, just a couple months ago, we walked through this lineup of Jesus' disciples and we described Peter to you. Peter's always mentioned, whenever Jesus mentions his disciples or whenever the New Testament mentions disciples, Peter is always mentioned first. Peter wasn't the first one chosen, but Peter was first in the scope of leadership. Um, Peter was the one that God chose to lead his disciples. And so uh, Peter is listening to what Jesus is saying here. Jesus has staked a pretty significant claim on Peter when he calls Peter to follow him. You know the story of Peter. If you've been around church, you know the story of Peter. And so the night that, that they're uh, experiencing the Last Supper with Jesus in the upper room, where Jesus is having dinner with all of his disciples, that night Jesus is arrested. And in Mark 14, 50, the scripture tells us, and the disciples left him and fled. Now, the next time we see Peter is the very next scene after Jesus is arrested in the New Testament. The next time we see Peter is he's huddled around this fire. And, and, and he's denying himself. He's denying that he even knows Jesus. He's not denying himself. He's denying that he knows Jesus. And he's being called out by this girl who's around the fire with him. And so we fast forward the story of Jesus and the story of Peter. And the next time we see Peter and Jesus together is Jesus and Peter. Jesus shows up to Peter on the beach at the Sea of Galilee. And he walks beside Peter. And on the beach at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus restores Peter. Jesus restores his faith, he restores his ministry, he restores his love, he restores him to being a follower of Jesus. And so I think what happened was Peter learned his lesson in what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 9. See, he heard the lesson, but he didn't learn it until much later. He learned what it meant to deny himself, to take up his cross, and to follow Jesus. And how do we know that he learned it? Well, we see what Peter wrote later in the book of 1 Peter. Peter writes some things in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 and how he describes his lesson, how he describes what it means to actually deny himself, to take up his cross and to follow Jesus. And 1 Peter chapter 4 gives us a few things about what it means to do these things. And Peter writes these things and he says, the first thing he says about taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1 and 2, it means, Peter says, leaving a sinful lifestyle behind. And so the book of 1 Peter says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has caused a cease from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And so Peter here is talking about leaving some things in your past when you decide to follow Jesus. Do you understand this? There should be some things in your life that you want to leave in the past. When you follow Jesus, it's the pursuit of righteousness, it's what the Bible calls the pursuit of holiness. It's the trajectory of your life. It should be towards holiness and righteousness. I mean, the trajectory of your life is not towards those things. You need to question whether or not you're actually following Jesus or you're following yourself. It's for this reason, because following Jesus requires sacrifice. It's what the Bible calls repentance. 
Following Jesus requires us to be up to date. Can I say it like that? Re- following Jesus requires us to be present with Jesus. Am I present in my walk with Jesus? Am I coming to Jesus today? I had a moment in our production meeting this morning. I was up really early this morning because my son had a baseball game at 8 a.m. And I was there and I got, you know, it wasn't my normal routine and I'm thrown off of my routine. I got all these thoughts in my head. I'm driving here to church this morning after the game and I don't know why, but last night it was the same way. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm thrown off And I said, Jesus, I cannot preach this morning without coming to you with the things that are in my heart right now. I just, I'm driving to his game. I'm being honest with you this morning. I'm driving to his game and I'm literally yelling at the people in the car in front of me Um, on the way to the game. I'm like, I've got to be present with Jesus this morning if I'm going to preach. You have to be present. Are you present in your walk with Jesus? Are you up to date? Following Jesus requires us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. And this is what Peter is saying, to actively leave sin behind us. The second thing that Peter says about denying ourselves and taking up our cross, following Jesus, in verse 7 and 8 in 1 Peter is, is this idea of loving others and serving others. Verse 7 and 8 of 1 Peter chapter 4, The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Don't you find this hard to do? Now, maybe I'm the only one. I find it hard to do. But you know what makes us a local body? You know what makes us a church a church? What makes us, I preached this last week, so this is fresh on my mind, but what makes us a church a church is not whether I'm preaching for 30 minutes a week. It's not whether we're baptizing. It's not whether we're taking communion together. It's not whether we're singing for 30 minutes together, but what makes us a church, what makes every church a church is whether there are people in this church who have the life of Christ in them who are exercising the gifts of grace that God has given to each of us. And a local body is is made up of people. That's what we call a church. We have the life of Christ in us. All of us have these specific gifts in us, and we're using it for the edification of the body, the multiplication of the body. It requires people in this church who have the gifts of administration to plan. It requires people who have the gifts of administration of evangelism who can share. It requires people who have the gifts of of mercy who tend to needs. It requires people in this church who have the gift of generosity, who go above and beyond and provide for the needs of our church. It requires people in this church who have the gift of hospitality to make people feel welcome so that they can hear the gospel. What makes us a church is when those of us who have the life of Christ in us function like God intended for us to function in all of our parts. Now, can I say this? Here's the reason why I said that. Because that requires sacrifice. That requires us to give up a little bit of ourselves. It requires us to to do some things sometimes, to commit to a local body rather than committing to our hobbies. Can I say that, okay? I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on some toes this morning. But following Jesus sometimes requires us to deny ourselves of some things in our own lives for the good of the body. Finally, Peter tells us a third thing about what the implication means to deny ourselves and follow Jesus, take up our cross. In verse 14 and 16, he's going to give us this idea that following Jesus has this concept of of losing respect from people around us. Or In this context, Peter is going to talk about being persecuted for being a Christian. Now, hold on to that thought for just a moment, but let me read the scripture. Verse 14, Peter says, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. 
because the spirit of glory and, and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So the context here is that believers are experiencing persecution. Now, quite honestly, the assertion that the American church experiences persecution is really not a serious one, quite honestly. Especially in light of the fact that, that over a thousand believers in Burkina Faso and, and Egypt and Nigeria have been murdered in the past year alone for simply staking a claim for being a believer. But I think what could apply to us this morning when Jesus talks about denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus, I think we could make application here this morning by saying, seriously, what keeps us from being identified as believers first and foremost in our lives? Now, it's easy to identify as a believer in this auditorium. It's easy to identify as a believer when you're standing in church on a Sunday morning. And I don't think we find it hard to identify by what we do as a career. I don't think it's hard to identify by how much money we make. I don't think it's hard to identify by a lot of other things in life, by our financial status. But what keeps us from identifying as a believer first and foremost? Can I say it like this? What keeps us from inviting people into the life that God has for them? What is it about that ask that we make of other people, that, that invitation that we give to other people? What is it about that process that we fear we're going to lose? Peter's talking about believers being persecuted. We see believers in Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Egypt, the Middle East that are experiencing this to the fullest extent where they're actually losing their life. But in America, even in Los Angeles, what is it that we feel like we're going to lose in making an ask of people to experience all that God has for them? Can I just say to you, because of, of, of all three of these, this is the one that beats my heart the most. I probably struggle the most at, but I have the greatest desire towards that people know Jesus. People around me know Jesus. My son's coaches know Jesus. My the parents on our team know Jesus. My neighbors know Jesus. Our friends at our school. This is what beats my heart the most, but quite honestly, this is probably the one I'm weakest at the most. Sometimes, though, can, just remember, sometimes following Jesus feels like a loss. If I invite these people into everything that God has for their life, what, what am I fearing that I'm going to lose? My reputation? My status? Who they think I am? What is it that I feel like I'm going to lose when I invite people into this process? I have to remember that sometimes following Jesus feels like a loss. But listen to me, church. But I have to believe it's a prophet. I have to believe it's a prophet. I have to believe it's a prophet. Which of these three are the hardest for you to make application, to understand, to apply to your life? What does it look like for you to commit yourself to denying yourself, to following Jesus, to taking up your cross? What does it look like for us as a church to do that? These are questions that we're asking in our leadership team. In what ways are you taking up your cross daily? What ways are you following Jesus and how is it affecting you personally? What hopes and dreams and comforts has following Jesus called you to that requires you taking up your cross? Can I tell you one of the ways that it's affected me personally, how it's affected our church as well? I found 
this to be personally challenging to me when I'm following Jesus, denying myself, taking up my cross. I found it to be personally challenging in the area of my resources. Now, I'm not just talking about finances, but I'm, I am talking about finances and how I steward my time, how I steward the things that God has given me, how I steward the the, the resources and the finances that God has given me. This is one of the areas that God has challenged me in. Haven't you found it to be true that when you follow Jesus and you're trying to learn how to obey him, ultimately it should change the way we see our resources? Haven't you found that to be true? It should be so true that people around you, even family members, maybe even people in your own house, look at you and they say, I think what you're doing with your resources feels a bit foolish. It should challenge us to that extent. It should lead us to make decisions about our money and our resources that seem foolish to everybody around us who's not a Christian, who hasn't experienced the grace of God. Now, can I tell you how that's personally challenged our church. Early on in the life of our church, we were told by several mentors, we, we have a budget and from year one, that budget had a percentage de- designated in it um, from year one that we would give this percentage of the money that we take in, we would give it out automatically. What do you think about it? It just automatically goes out to help plant churches, to help train pastors and leaders to help missionaries like Sherry overseas. We just said, this is automatically going out. I have mentors who said, you know what? You are are the ministry. You are the mission. You are the church plant. So you need to keep that money in-house for the first few years. And and quite honestly, I mean, mean, I'm down with the idea of keeping more money, aren't you? But one of the ways this idea of denying ourselves and following Jesus and taking up our cross has affected our church personally is that from the very first year, we decided we're not going to keep this to ourselves. We're going to send it out automatically. And so in the very first year, we sent a check that was larger than out of about 60 church partners we had that was larger than almost every one of our churches who sent us as a first year church plant. We said, we're This is not just about us. This is about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to consciously choose from the very beginning to steward what God has given to us in a way that we believe God would be honored. And so in the last four years, we've, we've, as a church, we've, you may not know this, but I want you to know in the last four years, we've, we've financially supported five different churches, four of them here in the city of Los Angeles, one in the state of Ohio. And we just said, you know what? The kingdom of God is more than, than, than just our small part here in Los Angeles. And so last year, we, out of 2,300 Baptist churches, that's who we are denominationally, out of 2,300 Baptist churches, as a four-year-old church, a three-year-old church, we were in the top 50 of giving in our state because we consciously decided we're not just going to keep what God has given us. We, we have a responsibility to steward what God has given us. Do you find this to be true? It's easy to protect what we've got. In fact, I think that's our natural inclination. We just protect everything we already have rather than giving it away. But when I read the Bible, and I specifically read these words in Luke chapter 9, I'm not sure that's what Jesus had in mind. Why do you believe that, Pastor Matt? Well, because that's what Jesus himself did. He denied himself. He took up a cross. He went to the cross for us. He gave everything to us. Have you found this to be true in your own life personally? I found it to be true in in my own life personally 
as well. And probably if you got kids, you found this to be true as well, especially when you have a fourth grader who comes up to you and say, Dad, how, how come I can't have an iPhone when everybody else in my grade has an iPhone? Dad, why can't I wear the Jordans instead of wearing these Target Bobos? Why, why, why can't I have what my friends have? And in reality, a son, the answer is, is, is very simple, son. The answer is very, very very simple. We could have all of those things if we didn't designate a, a significant portion of our income to God and to his kingdom and to his church. And see, son, life is not just about us. It's not about us. It's about others. And oftentimes that requires us to deny our own desires, our own hopes, our own dreams, our own pleasures in life because life is more about us. And that's exactly what Jesus taught us. Sometimes we have to deny ourselves. One of the implications of taking up our cross daily is how we steward the resources that God has given us. How is that how has that caused you in your life? Where is Jesus calling you in your life to this idea of costly obedience, to, to denying yourself, to sacrificial love for the sake of the kingdom? Where is Jesus calling you to that in your own life? And if you think he's not, listen, maybe, maybe you're in a healthy place, but I would think for most of us, we're still on a journey and we still haven't arrived and there's still more to do and more work to, to do in our hearts. Where are you in the process of Jesus calling you to costly obedience? Please shed this idea, this unbiblical probably heretical idea that Christianity is all about blessings and all about prosperities. Sometimes it's costly. And where is God trying to move you to help you in being up to date and present with him with faithful courage and repentance in your life? I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to close out this morning. I want to pray for us this morning. I don't, I don't know how you come in this morning and maybe I have good reason to believe there are many in this auditorium who are up to date with Jesus. I see it on your face. I see it in how you live. I see it in your family. But then there are many of us who still have a ways to go. And I thank God that, I thank God for his grace, don't you? I thank God that many of us are still like Peter around the fire. I'm not ready to deny myself, Jesus. I'm I'm perfectly willing to deny you in order to pursue my desires. I, I thank God for his grace. I thank God that he still has a desire to restore us and bring us back to the place where he desires. I want to pray for you this morning, wherever you are in your walk. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never trusted your life to Jesus. There's nothing magical or mystical about the process of giving your life to Christ. This is what Christ did for us. He denied himself, went to the cross. He died for my sin and your sin. He removed the barrier between you and God when he went to the cross for your sin. And because he did so, he gives you the privilege and the opportunity to come to him and to ask him in faith to forgive you of your sin and repair the relationship between you and God. And the promise, the promise is life not only in a life to come, but the life now in addition to the life to come. If you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to ask you to do that. Every single week, we hope people do that. How can I do that, Pastor Matt? Well, 
You can do it right there in the chair where you're seated. Give your life to Jesus. Have an honest conversation with him about who you are and where you are in your walk. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Turn to him. If you'd like to walk with somebody, if you'd like for somebody to walk you through that, down front to my right, to my left, as we stand up to sing, Marco, who's one of our staff members, he's down front as he is every week, and he would just love to to walk you through what it means to be a believer in Jesus. You just come up to him during the song or after the song and say, I want to give my life to Christ. For the rest of us this morning, I want to pray for us that God would continue to lead us in this journey of of faithful and, and costly obedience. And in the days where we feel like it's a loss, God will give us the faith to believe that it's actually a prophet. God, thank you for today. You're so good to us, Lord. God, in the days where following you seems like we're losing so much of ourselves and our hopes and our dreams to follow you and pursue you, God, may you give us the faith and the assurance to believe that it's not a loss, it's actually a profit, and you're working all things out for our good. Give us the faith to believe that, God. Maybe even today, there's some people who are walking through some difficult things, the decisions that they've made that they believe is in your will and honors you, God, yet they're having difficulty and they're lacking the faith to believe that this is actually a profit in their life. They believe it's a loss in their life. And may God, would you replace that loss and that feeling with the idea and the thought and the assurance and the courage to know that you're working all things for our good because that's the God you are. You're the God of grace. You're the God of encouragement. You're seeking our good and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.